Welcome to the Rider Ninja Podcast with your host, Joe Scott Coe. This podcast is where we talk about arts, language, culture, education, and the writing life. Join as we separate the crazy from your life and sort out what's encouraging from what's discouraging, what's safe from what's unsafe, what feeds you from what drains you. Remember, the goal is not just to get through, but to get forward. And now, your host, Joe Scott Coe. forward thinking today on forward thinking our last forward thinking episode for 2011 i'd like to talk about the gift of consent this might sound abstract or legalistic or overly philosophical but i believe the gift of consent makes for the best learning situations this is in my view beyond the idea of what we want or what i want in a kind of maybe commercial type of sense and gets into the intersection between desire and action in a profound way. We rarely think in these terms when we talk about learning, when we talk about um, how how we run our education systems, because K through 12 education is mandatory, uh, and teachers and students often don't have the chance to choose each other or to even think about that. We certainly, if, if we think about choice at all. We think about it in terms of maybe students and parents, but we don't think about it in the sense of a reciprocal choice, the teacher choosing and the student choosing to turn turn to each other. That's very rare. What's interesting is that in the ancient world, that was the way people learned. And of course, we're talking about a much narrow, narrow field of learners, uh, much less widespread literacy, uh, and certainly gendered and class segregation of education. But as an ideal, thinking about the idea of the peripatetic or the wandering teacher, whether it's Socrates or Jesus Christ, the the notion that one person who is wandering and has ideas to offer or philosophy, a point of view or skill or a way of thinking would then attract people who would choose them and the teacher is not mandated to work with this person. But if you could have a mentor-mentee relationship, it would be consensual. In our current system, in our current way, at least in the U.S., of conceiving education, college, in the most traditional kind of pattern, is probably the most consensual level because at that level, someone is applying, they're going through an application process, they are paying fees or they're applying for scholarship funds, and so on. So they're going through that to show that they're choosing it. Of course, there are questions now about the way we talk about education at the post-secondary level as being necessary for survival and so on, that a lot of people feel they must rather than choosing it out of out of a deep desire, but that's a separate issue. That's where consent seems to be the most preserved. However, it's also the most expensive. And the idea that cost would be involved in choosing your educational experience is very interesting to me. I, I think that we can also look, though, outside the traditional spectrum and see there are other kinds of workshops people can attend. Sometimes uh, during a weekend, they go away or they, they work with a particular teacher in a local space. 
self-education is also a form of consensual uh, learning where you're looking at the text as your first teacher. So you're reading in depth or you're, you're listening to maybe a lecture series on DVD or, or a CD, um, but you're trying to educate yourself and you're, you're choosing those materials and you are using them for something that you need. The other kind, of course, of, of consensual learning is apprenticeship. And this also is, is a pretty ancient uh, form of learning. And we used to, when we valued vocational ed as much as we valued uh, advanced placement and so on, there used to be a place for that. And now we seem to have this dichotomy in our education system between the idea of working in a trade and working with your brain. And it's kind of a false division, but it's there. And, and nevertheless, apprenticeship would be a place where a student would choose a teacher and the teacher would choose to work with a student. And there would be something at the end that would be a product maybe that they both would make. I think it's interesting, though, that there are two paradoxes and two ways that this idea of consent, this, this dynamic force between teacher and student, or you could say between the, the learner and the mentor inside the learning situation, um, kind of flip around. And I wanted to talk about that and then ask you guys a question. I think it's fascinating that uh, even in a consensual context, so you're taking martial arts, you've decided to, that you wanted to learn how to do karate or you want to be a kickboxer or you are taking music lessons, you're going through this extra effort or you're, you're making this choice, you're doing this on your own. And what's interesting is that even inside that context, people will consent to requirements and goals and expectations and exercises because they want to learn. So the idea of consenting to entering into a discipline is interesting. So it's not loosey-goosey. It's not just I feel or I don't feel like it right now. Uh, the overlay is that I've chosen this, but I'm also choosing to accept certain kinds of requirements. So the choice or the desire is the initial element, and then there's a kind of submission that's in, in, involved in learning how to do this thing. So I find that tension interesting. It's also true, and this is, this is also fascinating to me, that in a mandatory context, so in a, in a preschool or, or kindergarten through 12th grade situation, people will often create opportunities for consent. You will see instructors do this, for example, if they, there's an assignment and students can pick one of the three assignments or they can do the assignment in several different kinds of ways. There are these ways that we try to evolve the opportunity for choice and desire to intersect with action. Uh, and you could even argue that certain types of electives, once students get into junior high into high school, create that opportunity for the student to actually make a choice and feel like they own the learning situation a little bit more. But it's not so true necessarily from the instructor point of view. Uh, it, it's very difficult, especially in the mandatory situations. The classes are what they are. The students are who they are. And so it's hard to get that sense of re reciprocal spark that you can get uh, in, a, in a more non-traditional learning situation. But nevertheless, people will try to create opportunities for consent. Again, I see this as an interesting gift. So I have two questions for you uh, for the Writer Ninja podcast, and I really encourage you to visit my website, joescottco.com. That's J-O-S-C-O-T-T-C-O-E.com. Come to the website, and I have two questions for you, and I'll leave these on the website, and you can put your answer in the comments, and then I'll, I'll retweet and, and uh, repost some of the most interesting responses, or your, your comment will just appear there anyway. But I'm curious about two things, and then again, looking at consent inside a learning situation from either point of view, 
I'd like to know, number one, what was the most powerful voluntary learning experience of your life? If you think about a situation where you chose to work with someone or you chose to read a series of books or you chose to learn how to play an instrument or you chose to learn how to uh, swim a certain way, um, what was it that you were choosing to do and why was it powerful to you? Uh, and again, I, I think that that would just be interesting to hear from people and, and, and what difference the choice made as part of it. But the second question I wanted to ask, and this, this also may yield maybe even some of the more profound results, is when were you in a mandatory situation that you somehow learned to choose or appreciate the ability that this this maybe this learning situation provided for you to pay consent or desire forward in a different scenario when I think about my high school experience my parents required me to take typing and I didn't want to take it and I'm so grateful that I did so sometimes we don't know we think we know what we want, we don't necessarily know what we need, and we can learn actually to use something that's required of us uh, in, in a creative and dynamic way. And I, I'm so glad that I'm not just hunting and pecking on the keyboard. So that was an incredible gift. So come to joescottco.com, leave us a note, send us a message, we'll continue the conversation, and be thinking about this idea of how you can give your gift of desire, your gift of action in the, the new year, and how this applies to your own learning about what it means to, to consent uh, in various educational situations, some of them traditional, some of them not. Come to joescottco.com and tell us what you think. Now let's tune in to Ninja Chat. I recently had the chance to talk with John Brantingham, a Southern California writer and poet and a professor of English, creative writing, and literature at Mount San Antonio College. Uh, Mount San Antonio College is also called Mount Sac in the region. And uh, John Brantingham is really notable for not just his own writing, uh, which has been featured on Garrison Keillor's Writer's Almanac. Uh, his most recent book is East of Los Angeles, uh, published by Anafora Books. Um, but also for his commitment to building poetry and writing community. Uh, one of the things that John has done that's so amazing is he has helped build something called the Mount Sac Writer's Weekend, which occurs now um, in the spring uh, every year at Mount San Antonio College. And we had a chance to talk a little bit about that, as well as some other projects that he has cooking. And we also talked a little bit about what makes the ideal uh, writing situation inside a workshop. What makes it productive for the students? What makes it productive for the teacher? So give a listen. So uh, thanks for talking to me, John. Well, thanks you for having me up. So um, let's talk a little bit about the Mount Sac Writers Weekend, which um, you guys are going into your fifth year, correct? That's right. So can you talk a little bit about how that got started um, for you and, and how it's changed over time? Well, it, it, it started, the, the whole Writers' Day program at Mount Sac started, I, I don't know, maybe 40, 45 years ago, uh, probably not long after Mount Sac started. Um, but uh, when I was, I was a student at Mount Sac before I became a professor, when I was a student, it was a, a day-long celebration, and there was uh, 
poets and publishers and, and writers, and they all came, they're all professional. It was really just a wonderful experience to talk to people who were doing exactly what I wanted to do as an adult. And um, I, I spent that it really had a wonderful day. And uh, I went away, and I came back as a professor. Uh, and in that time, the Writer's Day had changed, so instead of a, a day-long event, it was a, a year, yearly event. It went on throughout the semester, so that uh, you had um, poets coming in and talking to, to students, and writers talking to students, and doing readings. And there's many, anywhere from 10 to 15 readings a year. Um, and there's a lot of value in that, and I, I really like that. Uh, but I also like the, the day-long event. Uh, so what we decided to do is kind of uh, keep the best of both worlds and, in fact, expand that day-long event. And now it's a, it's a weekend-long event. Um, and it, it, we, we, uh, we've expanded it into to three days where students can get college credit. And this is a chance for students to, to hear writers and meet writers and talk to them one-on-one -on -one and to uh, get direct instruction about their own work. So for a lot of people, this is, you know, for... For a lot of students, this is the, the thing that they love the most in life is, is writing and artistic expression. And it gives a whole weekend where people are focused just on their artistic expression. And it's, it's really, it's, it's, the, the reaction you get from everybody is the, the best weekend of their year. And it, it is for me, too. It's really a wonderful, a wonderful experience. Can you talk just a little bit about cost? Because that's a main, major um, asset to the program, specifically since you're at a community college that's huge, but also serves a kind of area that's east of L.A. Um, can you talk a little bit about that in comparison to other low residency and other kinds of, um, you know, weekend retreats? Sure, yeah. Part, part of the reason we started doing this is I, I was going to conferences, and conferences, uh, you know, like I went to Squaw Valley and Santa Barbara Writing Conference, and both were great, both wonderful experiences, um, and I've been to, to others as well, but they're usually 1000 to $2,000 you set up um, and and also I guess this would translate into a composition classroom too because it's part of your teaching philosophy but um, what do you kind of see as the keys to a successful writing workshop the writing workshop that works whether it's a, the attitude of the faculty in conjunction with the attitude of the students can you talk a little bit about that well yeah I think that's the, that's the key I think it has to start with uh, a, a really great attitude uh, from everybody and it, you, you have to have I've, I've had teachers come to me and say creative writing class because it's, you know, it's easier because you, you don't have the same, you know, they don't have the same sort of preparation, but I, I think it, sh it should be uh, much more difficult. Uh, the, the, the teacher needs to go in there with this attitude that, that they're completely devoted to what the student is trying to do, what the student is trying, trying to accomplish, and, and that, that, that affects the entire, the entire um, program so that you are... Um, you, you, you approach it in a couple of ways. First of all, you, you're focused 
my story twice a year, twice in the semester. And so those two days are valuable days. Every day should be valuable because you're developing these ideas about your own work. And so I think the, the attitude of the instructor needs to be this is uh, a large community. Um, and uh, I, as we're going through this, I'm helping each one of these members of the community to enrich their, their understanding of what writing is by talking about other people's writing. Yeah. That's great, because it's the blend of focusing on me, but I'm really doing it by thinking about something else, and it's it's interesting. Yeah, oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so now, actually kind of thinking forward a little bit, uh, last year you proposed a panel for the AWP conference in Chicago that's coming up in March, and um, I'm going to be on this panel, you're going to be on the panel, Lloyd Aquino, right? That's right. Um, and then there are two other people? Uh, Gerald Blockman from uh, Cal State Long Beach and Robert Stapleton from Butler University. Right, and so um, so you, you proposed this panel that was kind of, I thought, really interesting, which is trying to look at ways that creative writing programs can be built uh, at different levels of post-secondary education um, when there are all these slashes to budget. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, why that's so relevant now and then, and then also um, just some of the ideas that, you know, you have learned in your experience that made this kind of like a no-brainer idea. Yeah, well, you know, I, I think it's relevant uh, because, it, you know, the arts are one of those things that, that save us, that, that rescue us. And I think that it becomes more important as the economy gets worse and worse uh, because, you know, people are losing hope, but of course there is hope out there. There, there, there are things that you can do, and there's, there's, you know, just because some, we're, we don't have a lot of money doesn't mean that we need to sit around and, and, and uh, you know, watch TV, or I don't know what people do when they sit around. run um, uh, reading series, run all sorts of 
things, uh, people just kind of want to be there. Right. The great, the great thing about what's happening about Mount Sac is, you know, you, you start a community and you start welcoming people in, but that community builds itself. You don't always need to be the person in charge. And like, for example, the students just started a magazine called Creepy Gnome. It's a fantastic magazine. And Lloyd uh, Aquino and I, Lloyd's the other, the other director of creative writing, I'm the other advisor, uh, we kind of keep a distance from that kind of Right. Uh, because they're, 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 they're doing it. It's, it's, it's wonderful. And the more they do, the, the more ideas are sparked. And so we have people now, because there's a community there, who have created their own workshops just on their own. You know, they meet weekly. Um, and, uh, it, you know, everything kind of spirals out from that. Yeah. It's, it's pretty cool how, it, again, it, is a, it is a, becomes a self-generating thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, so even looking past that, uh, speaking of this kind of way in which these projects can metamorphosize and, and become take on a life of their own, you have got a bunch of people in your region who are interested in developing this San Gabriel Valley Literary Festival and for 2013, right? That's right. We're hoping February or January of 2013. So that's, I mean, that's actually coming up pretty close. So, so how, are, how is the planning going for that, and then how can people find out more about that? Well, the planning's going pretty well. Um, we're, 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 we're focused at this point on building the, uh, the non-profit associated with it uh, so that we can, you know, find sources of funding and that sort of thing. It looks like it's going to happen in West Covina. Uh, I think I need to take a couple more meetings for that. Uh -huh. uh, but it's, it's a, it's, it, what we're really trying to do is create a community center for, for people so that they can uh, come and, and, and work with all, all different types of arts. So that the kind of community that we build about SAC, we can have an artistic community for the San Gabriel Valley, and you don't have to be a part of the, 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 of the, of the classes. Um, I, I, I think the classes are good, I think they're wonderful, but you don't only take them so many times. Right. So that our community members really then are, are out and they right. from our program, which is uh, too, too bad. So we want, we want to develop a, a community center, uh, and we're, we're, we're doing that already. Uh, it'd be nice to have a physical space, but we, we don't have that yet, and we're kind of doing uh, uh, different spaces right now. And we've, we've already started the, some of our programs. We're going to start with uh, monthly events. We've got our first one coming up on Sunday, which I'm guessing, well, that's tomorrow, and I guess that that'll, this, your, your, your interview will air after it has happened. Um, but it, what we're, what we're going to do is we're, we're all coming together, and we're going to create some sort of art on a theme, right? Nobody knows what the theme is. Oh, but, neat. Uh, and so it, it will, it, people have four hours to create something. And I, I was really interested in the, the response, the responses that I've gotten. I, I knew there was going to be people who were who were interested in this, but uh, uh, at, at all levels of, of um, experience, we're, we're getting so we're getting people who have some books out. We're getting people who have never done anything before. We're getting. Uh, I think we'll have. Uh, somewhere between 20 and 50 people here tomorrow. Oh, that's really cool. So in a way, it's kind of a, a modeling of something that could be happening in this in this program once it gets going. It sounds Absolutely. Like. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, now where, can, um, where can people find out about the, the Lit Fest? You have a Facebook page, correct, and a website? or? Yes. We have the, 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 our Facebook is San Gabriel Valley uh, Literature Festival, and our website is sgvlitfest.com. That's sgvlitfest.com. Great. Um, before we go, let's just talk a little bit about um, what's inspiring you lately, what you're working on, and what you're reading. 
being on the on the show and uh have a happy new year well thank you so much for having me all right see you later inspirations tricks and methods of escape before i go today i want to connect the gift of consent with some book recommendations for 2012 the first book I want to recommend will be familiar to experienced writers. I use it sometimes in writing workshops, but I often return to it alone uh, when I'm trying to kind of sort out things or I just need some common sense advice uh, or some perspective. And that's a book by Anne Lamott called Bird by Bird, Some Instructions on Writing and Life. And one of the things that's great in this book is not just how Lamott breaks down different aspects of the writing process or how to approach an image, but also her advice about the uh, mentor-mentee relationship, or you could say uh, the writing partner and the writer relationship and what that should be like. And she's one of the only people whom I've ever seen call out this type of thing uh, when it's negative and say that you have to keep control of, of who you allow into your writing process. And I think this is fabulous. <laughs> and it's great. I'm going to read this passage to you because it's so good. So this is Anne Lamott. Uh, bird by bird. This is some of her advice about someone to read your drafts. What if someone agrees to read and work on your stuff for you and you have agreed to do the same for him and it turns out that he says nice things about your work even in the nicest possible tone of voice that are totally negative and destructive? You find yourself devastated, betrayed. Here you've done this incredibly gutsy thing, shown someone your very heart and soul, and he doesn't think it's any good. He says how sorry he is that this is how he feels. Well, let me tell you something. I don't think he is. I think destroying your work gave him a real pleasure, pleasure he would never cop to, pleasure that is almost sexual in nature. I think you should get rid of this person immediately, even if you are married to him. No one should talk to you like this. And I think that's fabulous because it again addresses the need to be able to feel in 
in community and in consent with the person you're sharing your work with. I think that's fabulous. Another book I want to recommend, this is newer to me, um, my uh, good friend Shuan Choi, who has a Los Angeles press called Writ Large Press, published a book recently by Aaron Henney. It's Henny or Hen. It's H-E-N-N. I'll put links on the, on the website for you. But um, it's a great book called You Already Know, and it's, quote, a playwright's guide to trusting yourself, practical exercises to open the channel. And actually, you don't have to be a playwright to, to find the exercises in this book useful. There are really interesting exercises in here about building character and also building conflict, uh, exercises you can do in, inside a group, uh, certainly things that writers could use which require them to get into their body a little bit more and into performance uh, mode and be thinking about the physicality of a scene, the physicality of a person that they're writing about. It's fabulous. Uh, and this book, again, I'll, I'll post the link, but this book was published in 2009. Um, the last book is really a blast from the past, and it's called Building a Character, and this is by the famous Stanislavski, who is known for his method acting uh, philosophy. And the reason I know about this book at all is because my favorite writing teacher of all time, Jack Grapes, who made a, a big impression on me and really helped me, not so much with just thinking about writing as product, but by thinking about writing as process, um, uh, this book is called Building a Character, and um, Jack Grape's uh, method uh, in his writing classes is method writing, and he bases it on an understanding of Stanislavski's method acting. But again, a lot of these, uh, a lot of these chapters are about um, being in the physical experience, being in the physical scene, thinking about how words sound, and all of this, of course, translates differently when you're actually writing versus trying to act it out. But um, I'm looking forward to reading this book uh, this year and uh, thinking about how this will provide me with more insight about how a teacher that I chose to be in my life, Jack Grapes, uh, how it underscores some of the lessons I learned from him. So come to joescottco.com. Uh, you'll find the links to the books there. You'll also find uh, information about the Mount Sac Writers Weekend coming up in April uh, 2012. Uh, also, you'll find a link there to the upcoming 2013 San Gabriel Valley Literary Festival. So um, come visit us and have a very happy new year, and we'll see you in 2012. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Writer Ninja Podcast. Visit www.joescottco.com for more information, including this episode's show notes. Send a question, comment, or message through the website and follow Joe on Twitter. Her Twitter handle is at joescottco. Check out Joe on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash teacher at point blank.